It's the Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back, and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler. Visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. On R2C2, CeCe Sabathia and Ryan Rucco guide listeners through everything going on in the MLB, NBA, and NFL. They also talk to friends, athletes, and celebrities about the world of sports and much more. Check out R2C2 with CeCe Sabathia and Ryan Rucco on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Monday edition of the Ringer Gambling Show. We are joined today, as always, by Chris Vernon. We're going to hit on some of the biggest takeaways and surprises from the games yesterday. Chris, your Cowboys got another win. Let's table that to a little bit later. But what did you think about the games overall yesterday? Well, Warren, I think uh, this morning, I think you'll join me in being incredibly sad about reading all of these stories of the books taking a bath. The public won again. And then I love I love reading all as someone who is well invested in both gambling Twitter and gambling stories online. There is nothing I love more than reading all of the quotes after a Sunday of all of the bookmakers crying poor and like they're going to have to turn their lights off because, oh, that was just a huge swing for us. Or, oh, we took an absolute bath once the Cowboys covered it overtime. But I will say this. Those stories are in conjunction with a ton of favorites covering. The morning had seven of the eight games on the morning slate were all covered by the favorites. In all, it ends up nine and three straight up. Eight and four against the spread. And, you know, before we get into individual games, Warren, I've got to ask you about at large, it feels like, you know, because this was kind of a topic that we talked about last week with favorites covering. Now, with them covering in the manner that they did with these bad teams, not just losing games, but getting throttled in the games and and the teams that they were playing against covering numbers, the Bengals killing the Lions, the Colts killing the Texans, the Rams killing the Giants, the Chiefs end up pulling away from the football team, and on and on and on. It feels like we're going to start seeing like massively inflated lines, right? Because they clearly, the, these, these underdogs, if, if it's a good team versus a bad team, 
it used to be that you'd have to worry about them staying within the number, but I mean, they've gotten trashed. Yeah, they have. Uh, we, we are going to see that a little bit. Some of these games for the upcoming week uh, have over a touchdown to upwards of 17 points. I mean, uh, if we start at the top, we've got the Texans right now are catching 17 points. And this is a team that consistently makes negative EV decisions by the coaching staff, uh, punting the ball when they're losing, not deciding to start going for it until like late fourth quarter, mid fourth quarter, when they should be going for it like the entire game. If they really cared about uh, trying to win this game, we don't know yet the status of Tyrod Taylor and when he's going to return. I'm sure that's going to influence the marketplace over Davis mills. But right now they're catching 17 points in Arizona. You've got, um, let's see the Detroit lions in the Sean McVay, Jared Goff, uh revenge game where Matthew Stafford's involved as well because of that two-team trade that they play each other this week obviously a big storyline for this week's at the four o'clock next Sunday right now the Rams are favored by 15 and a half to 16 points oh there my goodness um, all right you've, you've got so you've got the Bucks are favored by 13 points against the Chicago Bears so you've got to you definitely do have a uh, the, the books are going to start trying to figure out what can we do with these teams that are struggling to cover and are struggling to win games. Now the bears don't necessarily fall into that category because they played a nice close game against the green Bay Packers for most of that game. Um, but the other couple of teams, yes, they did. And then the other thing that we saw of course was some of the teams that were good teams, quote unquote, good teams, got their ass kicked yesterday mm-hmm. and, and failed to cover by large margins. I'm talking about like the Chargers and the Browns. So those are a couple of teams that, you know, weren't the bad teams, but those teams failed to cover by the most of any team uh, in the league was the, the Browns and the Chargers. Yeah, it feels like these numbers, though, are going to get inflated and that next week is one of those weeks that I'm going to – my prediction would be we come on here – a week from now, and we're talking about what a huge underdog week it was, and that I could probably just go blindly bet all of the underdogs, that there becomes this, all right, the favorites have gotten beat twice, these numbers, they're just going to keep on pumping them up, and they'll be one of these huge underdog weeks, because things always end up evening out, and we've had a couple of favorite weeks in a row, and now they've inflated these lines, and we're kind of in the middle of the season, and next week will be a big underdog week. That's what I'd guess. And you've already just named off. I mean, come on. That's uh, when, when are we seeing three lines that are over two touchdowns? If we think that Bucks number could even go up. I mean, they're putting it right under two touchdowns. Um, and, and by the way, if it weren't for the bizarre two-point conversion that Philly got, it would have been another favorite covering. Against the yeah, Bucks, well that, right? You're you're right. It wasn't bizarre though, but yes, you are right that 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 would have caused another favorite to cover there. And we actually yeah yeah, but this- I mean, but I mean that, that that game was there was a three touchdown game, and then you have them scoring twice, going for two in the spot that they did, and getting it to get that because the game the game was like six and a half. Well, yeah, they're right? down yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're down fourteen. Modern math and anybody with a pulse knows that there's a slight advantage, slight, but it is a mathematical advantage to go for two after you score a touchdown when you were down by 14 before you scored that touchdown. Um, So 
down eight, you go for two late in the game. Um, and so that's what they did. They got it. They lost by six. The spread was six and a half. So, mm-hmm. so they got that cover. But Chris, look, we, we talked about this on the show. When, when we were rattling off on a week-to-week basis how these dogs were doing weeks one, two, and three, and all the, we, we talked about the fact that it would even out a little bit. They would not continue to cover at this same rate. Um, and now we're seeing some of the favorites have uh, a couple of weeks. What were they, eight and seven two weeks ago? And, and I think week four even they might have been eight and seven. We do the show before Monday night, so I'm looking at what the results were before Monday night. And then and then now they're, what, eight and five with the bye weeks in there. So three yep. straight weeks that they've excelled over the, the underdogs by a slight amount. I mean, you're not going to – you're not making any money – until this week you weren't making any money just blindly betting favorites um but this week was one of those weeks especially with the straight up results like you mentioned uh and the favorites just winning outright what you have is eventually a lot of general casual people who are betting these games will parlay some favorites together yeah and so when favorites win a bunch of these games straight up like that that obviously hurts the books i am with you a hundred percent I don't give a damn about the books crying and boo-hooing. They do that primarily to try to market themselves, get attention for themselves, stay relevant, get people to come back and think it's so easy to bet on these games. Don't fall for those traps. They're laying out traps for you. Don't don't fall for that. Stick to your uh, bankrolls. Stick to your unit sizing as you're betting these games. Uh, stay disciplined in what you're doing and, and don't let these bookmakers try to convince you or feel bad for them this episode is brought to you by hotels.com i was traveling internationally last year i was in mallorca i didn't know the island well i said let me head to the north head towards the water let me go on hotels.com and see what they have available something preferably on the beach maybe even a gym not only did i get those things there was a kid's session with exercise gymnastics in the water pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. All right, let's talk about some of those bigger covers. And you mentioned it's fascinating because we had this epic football game last week between the Chargers and the Browns. That made us walk away thinking, man, both of these teams, the Browns could really run the ball. The Chargers are throwing the ball all over the place. Herbert with the 400-yard game. And both of those teams that played in such a great game and highly entertaining game last week turn around, and they are the recipients of the ass beatings that were the most off of the line. Uh, For a favorite, the Ravens cover by the biggest number, and by an underdog, the Cardinals cover as the biggest uh, the biggest number against the Browns because uh, the Ravens were slight favorites over the Chargers. They beat them 34 to six. The Cardinals were slight dogs to the Browns and beat them 37 to 14. So let's kind of go through both of those games and what happened after we had just watched the Chargers and the Browns play such a fun game against each other. 
Well, what happened with the Chargers is what we have been on and kind of ahead of the market for with regard to the Chargers while everybody else, and it was like universal because Brandon Staley does these press conferences and he speaks intelligently and he talks about interesting subjects. And so universally, the analytics community, the, the, the general media, NFL media community, like all these people fell in love with him. Like even sports books that I talked to, like they're, they're just enthralled by Brandon Staley. And I legitimately came on the show and, and, and Solak and I have been talking about it for weeks. And then I came on this Friday show um, with house and said, if Staley was like the greatest gifts to earth and was the most intelligent analytical guy ever. And yes, he goes for it a fourth down, but if like he made all these great decisions, he would be playing this game offensively as if he didn't want to be facing that team defensively, right? You want to do the thing that you're scared of. You don't want to do the thing offensively that you want other defenses to have to do. And yet they were limiting themselves offensively this entire season on early downs at the beginning of games, intentionally small balling themselves to have to be in positions to be spectacular and Superman like on third down and on fourth down. Like you, we wouldn't be having any discussions with Brandon Staley about these fourth down decisions and how Smarty is always going forward and fourth and two at his own 20 and things of that nature. If they never got into fourth downs, right? Like let's think about how we're getting even arriving to this point in time. The reason that we're talking about it is because he's being forced into all these fourth downs and it's inevitable that teams are going to be forced into some fourth downs, but they were being forced into far too many. Um, luckily, less than average, given the fact that they were so great on third down, but based upon their third down, the fact that they were forced into so many third downs um, was a problem to begin with. So they were having to convert at these ridiculous levels. And that's what he tries to get opposing offenses to do the way he plays defense. And you would think that he would try to get his own offense to do something different. Bottom line here is everything caught up with them. Regression on these third downs caught up with them, but nothing changed. They didn't do anything differently on early downs. They were still very problematic. Let's go through. I mean, and that caused them to face 12 third downs and they only converted three of them. And then they, on fourth down, they decided to go for it four times and they only converted one of those. So you're getting into this situation where you finally are running into a team that you're just not going to have enough success with at a consistent rate on these high variance downs that are going to these, these high leverage situations that are going to decide and swing games because you're so inefficient on early downs. You, you, you choked on all these and then you end up getting blown out. Um, the Baltimore Ravens faced 11 third downs and they converted six of them and conversion rate on third down is entirely tied typically to distance to go. And here, here's like an example from the Chargers. through their first three quarters of this game against the Ravens. They averaged 8.4 yards to go on second down plays, which is very high. 8.4 on second downs. That's not good. That shows that you're not gaining very much on first downs on average. And those second down plays gained an average of only 2.4 yards. So we're being forced into a lot of second downs. We're gaining only 2.4 yards per play. We're going to be in a lot of third and long situations. You're going to have trouble converting that caught up with them. So um, 
I, I'd like to say that we were kind of ahead of that. I'm not suddenly suggesting Justin Herbert's not good. I'm not suggesting that the Chargers can't be a winning team. But what did we say? They don't have a good kicker. They get themselves into too many of these close game situations by choice. Five, uh, five of their six games to, or four of their five uh, games to start the year were one score games, and that's they were winning them. But they're only one score because they're so inefficient on these early downs. It's very frustrating to watch uh, when you when you realize what's happening. Like Solak and I, we, we like didn't understand how they can't see this also. And I don't think enough other people around the league uh, who study it were like focused as much as the on the fact that they weren't so good on these early downs. What was coming out about the Chargers was great on third down. Look at how this team keeps winning games. Justin Herbert's incredible. Their coach is incredible. Um, there we go. They get, they well, get blown about, out. How about on the flip side? I mean, look, that first week of the season on Monday night, the Baltimore Ravens lose to Vegas 33-27, to and now they have reeled off five wins straight. Kansas City at Detroit, at Denver, Indianapolis, and the Chargers. And in three of those games, they've given up less than 20 points. In two of them, they've given up less than 10 points. They give up seven points to Denver. They give up six points to the Chargers yesterday. So what are we making of the Ravens? I know we talk about what the Chargers did wrong, but what about the flip side of that, which is a 5-1 and one Ravens team that, Unbelievably, I read just like a story about a week ago saying that they had lost 19 players at one point yeah. to injury. It was hilarious yesterday because as, as when it was popping up on Red Zone, me and my son were joking that, you know, it, they, they flashed in once and they said, uh, touchdown Latavius Murray. And then they flashed in again and they said, touchdown Le'Veon Bell. I'm like, yo, the Ravens are in 2015 mode. Like this, like Latavius, the red zone channel is flashing me to Latavius Murray and Le'Veon Bell <laughs> scoring these rushing touchdowns. It's like, who are these people that they are? Like, There's been a different guy like every week and somehow, some way they've got, now five wins in a row, and we've got to we got to start thinking about the Ravens a little bit differently, right? Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Um, look, the Ravens. What what did we talk about um, leading up to this game? We talked about the fact that they have played some really bad pass defenses. The Chargers' pass defense is pretty good. They are going to struggle to. They're not going to have the same performance like Lamar did against the Colts a couple of weeks ago, where a couple weeks now it was week five, where he threw for over 400 yards and produced that ridiculously insane great performance on Monday night. He he's not going to be able to do that here. Um, And we're going to need to see a lot of efficiency out of them running the football. And I don't know. I'm not quite sure if they've got the backs, the stable of the backs to do that. We saw Nick Chubb just absolutely decimate this Chargers team and build a lead. They were up the Browns were 27 to 13 midway through the third quarter because they were running the ball so effectively with the running backs. Um, And so what the Ravens did here was really interesting. Like, first of all, bigger overarching point. We have two teams that were both four and one and their quarterbacks, neither of them in this game passed for 200 yards. Mm. Justin Herbert, 195, Lamar Jackson, 167. Both quarterbacks had 
bad days, okay? Both, they only threw one touchdown apiece, both threw at least one interception, um, both had, you know, I don't really look at passer rating that much anymore because we got so much better statistics now, but for the passer rating crowd, both quarterbacks were in the 60s in terms of their passer rating in this game. Uh, Lamar Jackson definitely struggled more than he did in prior games against some of these crappy pass defenses, but this was all to be expected. Like, we, we were predicting this ahead of time. What was uncertain was, are they going to get the performance and the production from the running backs? And what they did was really good, which is they rotated all these guys through. So they didn't try to just rely on Latavius Murray. Like, I didn't think Latavius Murray was going to be able to stand up there and take a bunch of carries and still maintain a lot of production. But they didn't have a single running back on the roster run the ball more than nine times. So Freeman had nine carries. Murray had nine carries. Le'Veon Bell had eight carries. They, they, they just, oh yeah, that's the other one. Devontae Freeman. It's like, this is, it's like every awesome running back from five years ago. Yeah, exactly. So, so they were just (laughs) rotating these guys through and saying, you know, we we need you just to get like four and a half, five and a half yards on like eight or nine carries. Like, let's, let's go, let's go. This run defense stinks for the chargers and they were able to do it. And so the, you know, the big the big story was the defense um, and the way that they were getting this pressure on the Chargers. The Ravens are absolutely for real. Like, they were never not for real even before this game. But I think, you know, the, 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 the fact that they lost week one to the Raiders. No, it, they, was the, it was the Lions game for me, though, Warren. I watched that Lions game, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, it was a miracle they won. Tucker hit the longest field goal in NFL history, and I'm like, this Ravens team's lame. And they turn around, and they pop Denver, come back. It really showed a lot of heart coming back against the Colts, and then, of course, just boned the the Chargers yesterday. Yeah, I mean, this this was the first, like, statement win. You know, mm-hmm. the, 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 the win against the Chiefs, was not necessarily a statement, but more so get the monkey off our back. We've got to, we, we finally got rid of this uh, millstone that was hanging around our neck of being not beating the Chiefs. So yeah. we're done with that. It wasn't a super impressive win. You know, they came back, they got, they got fortunate to get the turnover and then to ice that game out. Um, the game against the Lions, so the first three weeks were all these like coin flip games that they happened to lose. They were like close games. They happened to win a couple, lose one. Like it was, it was a tight. And then the game against Denver was like, okay, this team put up some points against a defense that theoretically was good. Although we see Denver's true stripes defensively, true stripes defensively, they're not that great. The Colts game was, you know, this this game here, this was their statement yeah. win. They got one more game against the Bengals, then it's a bye week, recharge your batteries, and come out. And there's really, I'll be honest with you, like Ravens fans, you know, our producer on the, on the show, Brian, he's excited for this, I'm sure. Ravens fans, look, look at your schedule the rest of the way. You get, obviously, two games against the Steelers and two games against the Browns, teams you're quite familiar with. The other teams that are on the list that are non-division are the Rams, the Packers, the Dolphins, the Vikings, the Bears. That's it. I mean, yeah, the Rams is going to be a tough game. That's week 17. You're going to have a good record by that point in time. The Packers, tough game, but that's week 15. And and we've seen Aaron Rodgers show some highs and lows. So I think the, I think the Ravens are in a really good spot right now. Yeah, well, let's, talk, let's talk about that other game. So we saw that Chargers-Browns game the week before. The Browns, of course, did not have Nick Chubb, who has become rather essential to what they do. Um, 
they got just absolutely killed by a Cardinals team where you thought that, all right, there's going to be more Browns uh, love coming in because it was announced in the morning. Cliff Kingsbury wasn't going to be there. At least two other coaches were not going to be a part of, uh, of the Cardinal sideline in this game. And I think everybody's been kind of waiting for the Cardinals to fall on their face. And it just hasn't happened yet. And so it was like, all right, here's the spot. They're going to go play against the Browns. Now they're without their coaches. And instead, the complete opposite was true. As an underdog, they end up going, winning by three touchdowns. The Kyler Murray stats are so crazy that now people are talking about, hey, look at his MVP odds, right? Like, that's the way this goes at this time of year. But what, what do we make of... Both the Cardinals and them, uh, they keep on trucking, and I thought really made a statement yesterday. And then on the other hand, the Browns, who were coming off of that epic game against the Chargers, but were just flatter than hell against the Cardinals. Yeah, so uh, a couple things here. I, I was disappointed in the Browns' overall performance here. And I've got to say, when I'm looking at this Browns team, you know, one of the biggest discussion points that we had this offseason was look at what the Browns front office has done to improve the personnel on both sides of the ball, specifically the defense. And I remember tweeting out a number of, 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 of uh, lists that showed all the new players that this team added to the defensive side of the football and just how incredible uh, these players were. And then you're looking at what the Browns team has done defensively and you're kind of scratching your head at this point in time because, yeah, they went up. Like, the reality of it is this defense had one good game against a respectable offense, let's say. And that is week four against the Minnesota Vikings, holding Kirk Cousins to seven points and winning that game 14-7. to seven. The other two games that they won in blowout convincing fashion – were the Texans and the Bears, whose offenses ranked number 30 and number 31 in the NFL. And they were actually down to the Texans at halftime when that team still had Tyrod Taylor in there. They ended up winning that game by 10 points, and they obviously crushed the Chicago Bears. They allowed 33 points to the Chiefs, and the Chiefs' offense had a lot of success, and they had to come back in that game. But they had they allowed 33 points there. They allow 47 points to the Chargers, and they go up against the Cardinals, and they allow a boatload of points in the wind to a team without its play caller. And that was really surprising to me, just how this defense is performing. Now, fortunately for them, and fortunately for like every team in the league, you're not going to play top 10 offenses left, left and right, like the Chiefs and the Chargers and the Cardinals. So they're now going to be going up against a stretch where they're taking on the Denver Broncos, followed by the Pittsburgh Steelers, followed by the Cincinnati Bengals, followed by the Patriots and the Lions, right? So all of those teams currently rank 16th or worse in offensive efficiency as opposed to back-to-back -back games against good offenses. But the point here is, what is this defense, especially when we're trying to say, okay, is this Browns team for real? Can this Browns team compete in the postseason? Um, the other thing that I took away was, you know, Baker Mayfield, like, the, there's a whole argument. I don't even want to get, get into it now, Chris, but like, Paying Baker Mayfield, what is that going to look like? Because his rookie deal is about to expire. You're going to have to decide what to do with this guy. 
can he win these big games and perform well enough to actually win games for you rather than the system that is built around him bringing him to those wins, the run game helping bring him to those wins? Like, is his performance worthy enough of paying him big quarterback I, money? I will, say, I will say this, though. Getting sacked five times, of course, he had the two fumbles and he lost both of them, but getting sacked five times, I mean, they just they could not keep that team off of him. No, yesterday. and specifically in this game, you're right. And, and that, both that, of their so, I mean, uh, we can out. talk about paying Baker Mayfield, but I mean, like, you could throw a lot of guys back there, and I mean, you're just you are just getting bullets fired at you. you know, well, the other thing, the other thing is that, 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 that is why it's so interesting when you talk about like Patrick Mahomes versus Baker Mayfield. And obviously we're not going to compare the two, like in terms of what they should get paid. I don't even want to talk about Baker's contract right now, but the issue is that the Browns like the Ravens used to be like the Browns are accustomed to winning. They're built to win a certain way, play good defense, try to limit the opponent's point total, be able to run the football, be always in a game that's a close game so that you can always rely on your run game. You don't have to have Baker Mayfield drop back to pass a million times to try to bring a team back from behind because that's just not something that Baker Mayfield's going to be able to do here. Ironically enough, even though they were trailing big through most of this game, Baker Mayfield still only throws 28 pass attempts. Yeah. And the, the, t- the team was down. They were down 14 to nothing, 17 to nothing, 20 to nothing uh, midway through the second quarter. And Baker is still Baker still only throws 28 well, passes. And that's the thing, Warren. Right. Like they don't they don't. He doesn't decide victory and loss much in a way that many of his peers do. And that's why when you don't have Nick Chubb available and you don't have that two-headed monster of Hunt and and Chubb going, um, and Kareem Hunt, for that matter, only gets 14 carries in the game. I mean, you're talking about how he only threw it 28 times. The best running back only carried it 14 times. I mean, they just weren't. They just weren't on the field for these. Yeah, for and, that, that, and that's you know I mean? like, 100 correct. It's, and that goes it's not like they their... ran it a bunch and Baker Mayfield only threw it 28 times. They just didn't have plays. Right, and that goes to their defensive performance. Now, the frustrating part about watching this game, if, you, if you're if you a neutral observer watching this game, was the first couple of drives were completely penalty influence. Like, this was not a clean game from the beginning. And they were calling so many things against the Browns, so many P.I., uh, not, P, not, not just P.I., there were some that were warranted, but like roughing the passer and all these things against the Browns for going near Kyler Murray that it just felt like, okay, the refs are setting this tone that you can't even touch Kyler Murray. And I don't know if you seen this play, Chris, uh, it's been tweeted out where, Oh, did I ever, he just touches Kyler Murray. I'm about to tweet out a video of it. He just touches Kyler Murray after the pass was thrown. Kyler doesn't even go down. He just, he just jogs away from the defender and they threw a personal foul roughing the passer flag. I mean, I don't understand what the league is doing here from a consistency. It seems like so many of the things that they're doing, Chris, this is the thing that frustrates me and probably most fans, is the refereeing this year feels very arbitrary. Like, to one guy, this is roughing the passer. To another guy, it's not. To one guy, this is PI. To another guy, it's not. To one guy, this is taunting. To another guy, it's not. Like, there's so many subjective calls now that have massive influences over the course of the game, and there's just... Just a lot of subjectivity. It's Last not week, even. It's not even the 
subjectivity thing Warren Dak Prescott's laying in the damn end zone on third down and they don't even review the damn thing like he's laying in the end like can we not even look at it he's laying oh, you're talking the, about the sneak and then he fumbles on fourth down and I'm yeah, like yeah, yes. hold, I'm like hold on now what and the and Nance and Romo are like why are they not looking why is a scoring play not under review they just I'm like, hold on. He he got up in the end zone, like he stood up, and like we're not even we're not even gonna look at this. It, it is it's kind of crazy. Now it's what's even more crazy. Ward is I'm a big college football fan too. The college officiating is so like next level egregiously bad that. I don't notice it as much on the NFL Sunday. And yet this year in the NFL Sunday, it's becoming a thing again. And that I get they're trying to protect quarterbacks. And I you're going to tweet out that video. Anybody that sees the, the, some of the roughing the passers that have taken place are just so beyond the pale. Like well, it's, that, not, that, it's not the intention of this. The intention of this is not... To, uh, you cannot hit the guy ever, and you cannot touch the guy ever. But yet, that is how it is interpreted. It's almost no, and that, and that, we're that's in training camp, and he's got a. Why don't we just do training camp, and the guy can wear a green jersey, right? Well, yes, but and you're you're 100 correct. But the thing for me is, as a sports better, I need more consistency. I need to understand what the rules construct is specifically, and I need every single infraction to be officiated to the exact way that it is supposed to be and that to be consistent throughout the league and that to be consistent on a weekly basis so that my projections are going to be as perfect as possible when you have certain refs throw ridiculous flags for things that they are using their own subjectivity towards coming up with. And then others that don't do that, then you get a lot more noise in the results. And we're not talking about, okay, like a five yard penalty. We're talking about penalties that give first downs. We're talking about penalties that are 15 yards. We're talking about penalties with PI that are more than that. We're talking about touchdown scoring plays like you just mentioned. Like there's a lot of these plays that the refs are getting involved in with subjective decision making on massive high leverage situations Mm -hmm. that are influencing the outcomes of some of these games and the way that they're played. If, If you don't have these penalties against the Cleveland Browns, I'd have to go back and look at like uh, first half only or first drive only um, statistics here for the number of penalties and that sort of thing. Um, it looks like the Browns in the first half alone were penalized seven times for 63 yards. I don't know how many first downs by penalty. It looks like there were four first downs by penalty given to the Arizona Cardinals in the first half alone, Yikes. 63 yards of penalties against the Cleveland Browns. And, and what do we talk about? The Cleveland Browns need to play a certain way. So when you are allowing one team to get four first downs by penalty, the Browns only got one themselves. The Cardinals are given four and they're 63 penalty yards. Like you're, influencing the Cardinals ability to gain a lead, which makes something even more difficult for the Browns to overcome because they can't do that. That's not how they're built. I do have to ask you, you are the guy you always talk about coaching throughout these weeks, right? And I do have to ask you is if, if I say 
Warren, maybe we talk a little bit too much about coaching when a guy like King Cliff Kingsbury isn't there and his team performs the way they do. And John Gruden, you can't get a bigger distraction than losing your coach in the middle of the week and then that team performed the way it did. Do do is it is it possible we make too much of coaching if a team cannot have their coach on their sideline and yet perform in the manner that they did? I don't think that it that that that's the narrative I would take away from it. I certainly see why you could come to that. What I would take away is kudos to these guys who stepped in and called a great game, right? Like I definitely believed that it would impact the Cardinals more than what it did. And specifically when we talk about like high leverage situations, that's when you would think coaching would be more apparent, but the Cardinals went eight of 15 on third downs. That's 53%. That's a really good rate on third down. And then they attempted one fourth down and they converted that as well. So like kudos to how they came up with their play calling decision-making. Now, one thing could be said Cliff Kingsbury is a guy that I don't even like his play calling that much to begin with. So it's not really that big of a loss. I definitely thought that John Gruden, though I didn't have any action on the Raiders Broncos game at whatsoever side total props, nothing. Um, I definitely thought that John Gruden's absence with how influential he was in that play calling would have made a bigger impact. Um, There's the potential that when you have a veteran quarterback like Derek Carr, who's been there for so long and is accustomed to everything that they do and helps with that, with the play calling itself a little bit, like the decision-making discussing things with Gruden that he probably had enough of a lead time to take over some of the reins and work with the guy who was going to actually call the plays to execute better. Um, But that one was, I think a little bit more surprising. And you also have the whole, Somebody stands up in the locker room. Look, this isn't about one guy. This is about us. This is when we need to band together. Sometimes when you have a catastrophe like that happened in the middle of the season, it can bring a team together and they feel like this. We have to be united. That's the only way we're going to do this instead of fracturing. And it, it, it oddly does have this galvanizing effect. No doubt. Team. It can, no doubt. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, right. There's a, there's a hundred percent as you're betting these games, there are spots, quote unquote yeah. spots. There are specific games that teams have circled. Maybe they're ahead of time. Maybe they're not spots in favor of your team spots against your team where it might be difficult. You, you absolutely have to factor those in. These are players and coaches that have emotion and lives outside of football and are subject to pressure and are subject to being weary and all the other things that affect you and I and everybody listening on a day-to-day basis. These people are not robots. Like they have, they're fine tuned as best as possible from the vast majority of them. They are true professionals, but that does not mean that they have the same exact uh, feelings and week of prep and emotion on a day-to-day basis leading into a game. And it does impact it. And you actually asked the question of me last week when we talked about the Bears and Raiders game. Do we think that the coaching of John Gruden was a distraction here? Like, did you was yeah. that a reason why they didn't perform as well? And at that point in time, I think there was just like 
one, it might've been the one email. And I said, well, it might've played a role, but I don't know if it was that big of a role. And then we find out that there's this whole investigation into what was going on. And there was at that point in time when he was calling that game, he had already been made aware of all these other emails that were going to come to light. There's just no way it wasn't going to be. Exactly. It was, it was, he knows his whole careers on the line. Yeah. It was a bigger thing. And, and I bet the locker room knew stuff as well. Like yep. there was just a lot more under the surface in the game against the bears than publicly we knew was going to be a factor. Yeah. Even like the Monday morning after that game, the rest of this stuff came to light. I think it was Monday afternoon. Yeah. Cause Monday night football is when they fired him during the game or he resigned or whatever he did. This episode is brought to you by hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Yeah, well, speaking of the Bears, I saw a crazy story that came out this morning. David Purdom, who does an outstanding job covering the gambling world, uh, on ESPN Chalk, he put up, he went and researched, you know, there was this clip that was going around everywhere from Aaron Rodgers yelling at the Chicago fans, I owned you, I've always owned you, uh, and then some expletives involved. Uh, Purdom wrote, at Caesar Sportsbook in Illinois, 87% of the money backed the Packers to cover a 5.5-point spread. But across all Caesar sportsbooks in all states, there were actually more bets and more money on the Bears plus the points versus the Packers. At Bet Rivers Sportsbook in Illinois, 95% of the money was on the Packers to win straight up. In other states, the Packers only attracted 75% of the money at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. So Purdom went and talked to two different sportsbooks and the Illinois chapters of those sportsbooks. I think this speaks to Bears fans knowing that Aaron Rodgers owns them. And so we might as well make some money off of our misery. I get, I mean, this was, I, I, I can't believe that. I can't believe that. I, I mean, maybe I should, right? I can't put my, uh, uh, myself into that mindset where it's just like, all right, we know we lose to this guy, so we might as well make money off of it. But for the numbers to be so outrageously high in the money and the bets that came in on the Packers against the Bears at Illinois Sportsbooks, and hey, to their credit, they all won their bets because he does, in fact, own them. 
Yeah, no, uh, that is certainly surprising and pretty pretty humorous at the same time. I think the Bears are in an interesting spot, right? They were just off of two consecutive wins against, you know, uh, obviously now the Raiders win looks even more impressive the way that the Raiders played last week. But at the time, it certainly can be explained away a little bit um, yeah. with all the distractions that were going on there. Um, and this is a Bears team, of course, that, what do they want to do? They don't want their young quarterback having to make a lot of full field reads and, and, and run through a lot of progressions quickly. They would like to try to run the football. They would like to try to slow the game down. They would like to try to um, stay in the game so they can run all the way into the fourth quarter. And, you know, last week's game, even though they trailed uh, for they got up seven, nothing at halftime. They were down in the third quarter. They were obviously down in the fourth quarter. They were obviously down. This is a team that was still 50, 50 run pass on early downs all the way through until the end of the game. Like if you look at all four quarters of this game, granted at the very tail end, they weren't, but their overall four quarter numbers show exactly the same number of runs 22 as passes 22 some of those runs were probably designed passes that Justin Fields ends up turning into runs um but they they want to try to run the football and now the interesting part we talked about some of the bigger spreads they're 13 point dogs in Tampa Bay this Sunday. oh they can't run there and you what's going to run be, exactly what's going to be super interesting is is the fact that these two teams are diametrically opposed in so many ways. So let's run through this. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the number one most pass-heavy team in the NFL. The Chicago Bears are the number three most run-heavy team in the NFL. And that was before yesterday's numbers got incorporated into it. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the number one fastest-paced team in the NFL. The Chicago Bears are the number five or sixth slowest-paced team in the NFL. So just right there, just pace and run pass preference, two totally different teams. You've got a young quarterback in Chicago who now is going to be in a situation where you can't run against Tampa teams, just abandon the run altogether and throw the ball a lot. So what will they do from designing an offense to allow Justin Fields to do that? We know he could throw the ball down the field and he's got decent accuracy when he's doing that above average accuracy when he's throwing the ball down the field, but they never have asked him to do that frequently. Now you're going up against Tampa, a situation you're probably going to be trailing because you're a 13 point underdog. He's going to be throwing the ball more in this game by choice or by force. It's going to happen here. How will that go? What do they come out with to start the game? Do they try in the first quarter to run the football? which would probably be a mistake. You're also down a number of running backs. They were on their third string back who performed really well. Let's just put it that way. He did really well against the Packers, but there's totally big difference going up against the Packers run defense as the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers run defense. Then you've got the other fact that you're looking at the Chicago Bears and you're saying, what is their defense exactly? Because yeah, they did pretty well against Aaron Rodgers, but this is a f opponent they're intimately familiar with and they're playing the game at home and they're able to kind of like slow the game down themselves offensively a little bit to keep it a little bit tighter. They've played only one other really good offense this year and that was the Rams and the Rams completely torched this defense, put up 34 points, could have scored even more than that 
in week one of the season. So you've got a team now that's going to want to pass the ball a ton. The the Bears defense has not gone up against very many good opposing offenses. This was the game, if you remember, this is, I don't know if Tom Brady, he seems to take uh, everything personally, no matter what it is, like Michael Jordan, get offended by the littlest thing that somebody did several years ago. Oh, that's right. The whole Trubisky, you were going to stick with Trubisky? I don't know. No, I wasn't even thinking of that angle. I was. What I'm thinking is the four finger angle, where Tom Brady. This was the game last year where Tom Brady thought that there was an oh, extra down, yeah. and he held up the four fingers. He lost to Nick Foles and the Chicago Bears last year by one point. I think well, it was on Monday Night Football so or Thursday I was night. Talk, I was talking about. Uh, there was a lot of people that thought this is this is the team that Brady was talking about when he was on LeBron's HBO show. And he said, it's not that I was even going to go there. It's not that I wanted to go there. It was that evidently a team called the agent and said, you know, basically we don't have any interest in this. And Brady's quote was, you're going to stick with that MF? Yeah. That's I remember what I that quote, but and has that, is, is no, that been tied ever, to Trubisky? But, but everybody has thought that. Okay. So. I didn't know. Because uh, it was a logical place that maybe you, right? It was a logical place that if you, uh, if Brady was going to be leaving, right? It, 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 there's a lot of clues to that, right? And why, how many guys, honestly, would Brady say you're going to stick with that MF about? That's probably a short list. Yeah, right. yeah, I don't know. Right. I don't know. There, if if that were the case, if that were the case, then he's probably pissed off about uh, the coach Matt Nagy and their GM uh, Ryan Pace, and those guys are still here. So he would probably, yeah. yeah, indeed, take that personally. Now, the one thing though that you could say is that he had that same. I guess that storyline came out. The video surfaced after the Super Bowl, right? Like this past off season that came mm-hmm. out. I think. Yep. But he was already thinking that before yeah. he played the Bears last year and he lost to them by one point. That's so fair. it's not as if this is That's like fair. the first time that he's gotten the opportunity to give yep. him payback. If they were the team, he's already had one chance, scored only 20 points in that game, thought it was an extra down. At that point in time, he was basically mocked nationwide. Like, old man Tom can't play in prime time. And he's mocked he himself. Yeah, he doesn't know that. what down it is, like all this stuff. And then, of course, they they, they performed better down the stretch, won the Super Bowl, ancient history. But I, you can't tell me that he's not thinking about that. So this game is really fascinating. We're spending way too much time thinking about Justin Fields for this next week's game. But, you know, how quickly does Tampa Bay put up points here? They're so pass heavy. They play at a, such a fast rate. The Bears defense hasn't gone up against a team like this. Do they put up points quickly? And then what does that mean for Justin Fields? Do the Bears say, we're going to put it in his hand from the opening snap and let him throw the football here against this great run defense? Do they try to run the football? What happens when they fall behind? I mean, that game is going to be fascinating from a variety of levels. And, um, you know, it, I, I could see it going a couple of different ways here uh, from a scoring uh, perspective, but that'll be a fun one for week seven I don't know if they have updated these odds but I know last week the Super Bowl favorite was in fact the Tampa Bay Buccaneers should it be the Dallas Cowboys Warren Sharp (laughs) Um, well we definitely need to talk about that game against the Patriots because that absolutely was an extremely impressive performance once again by the Dallas Cowboys and one of the things that was notable in that game when you're when you're when you're watching it 
a lot of people get um, enthralled when they don't look at the numbers or the data behind it. Just especially when you're betting on a game, like, well, what's just what's the score? Like, am I covering my bet? Am I winning my bet? Like, I don't care how I got here. Am I having success? But when you go back and look at the data behind this game and the statistics behind this game, shouldn't even been close. Like, it, it should, the, no, it, and anybody that watched the game though, it shouldn't have been close either. They they fumbled at the one yard line. They threw a pick in the red zone. I mean, they should have been up. The Cowboys had to, thirty. The Cowboys yeah. had thirty two first downs. The Patriots only had seventeen. The Cowboys were, were in the red zone five times and scored only twice. The Patriots went two of two in the red zone of the Dallas Cowboys. Like. This game, this game, Dallas should have been up. That being said, all of that being said, when you do find yourself in the moment, find yourself in this situation, Mike McCarthy misses the field goal. What is it? 21 to 20 at that point. The Patriots have the ball, the lead, and there's what, like four minutes to go in the game. And anybody who has the Patriots plus three and a half ticket has to be feeling good. And they should have. Um, anybody who had a ticket on the under had to be feeling good, um, and they should have. And what ends up happening? You got a pick six, Trevon Diggs gets it. Then you got Mac Jones, next play on offense, throws a touchdown, and all of a sudden the game's over the total, and we're in a in a slugfest. The Cowboys obviously converted on that fourth down uh, to keep the drive alive, to come back down and kick the game-tying field goal to send it to overtime. I mean, a, well, a huge conversion after they had gotten – by the way, your whole subjectivity argument, I, I, they didn't even show it back on TV, which was just unbelievable to me. The Connor Williams hold, which is the most unsurprising thing ever if he held somebody. Okay, but that's not what was enforced. It was a 15-yard unsportsmanlike conduct that was called against him. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember Which there that, was yeah. absolutely no indication of what the hell happened. Like, this is the biggest moment of the game. Like, there's so many things like that that happen that you just forget because of the way it all played out. But they had to convert this crazy long uh, third down because there was a Connor Williams 15-yard unsportsmanlike conduct with the game on the line. Um, and the cameras, like, we never even saw a replay, nothing of that. Um and then, of course, the game goes to overtime. The Cowboys are able to get a stop. And then I read this this morning. Think about how you, you want to talk about numbers, uh, Warren. Two things on uh, Prescott. The first of which is he has played in four career overtime games. He is now 18 of 18. He has never thrown an incompletion in overtime. 18 of 18, 214 yards, 12 yards per attempt. Three game-winning touchdowns, zero sacks, 155.7 passer rating, and the only loss was at Houston when the Cowboys punted on fourth and one from the Houston 42. Thank you, Jason Garrett, uh, for that. Um, and so he has, when it, like when it's mattered most, you get into overtime, the guy has been out of control. Awesome. One other number. Prescott is the seventh quarterback in the Super Bowl era to have 16 or more passing uh, touchdowns, 70% completion percentage, and fewer than five picks in his team's first six games. Four of the other five won the NFL MVP. Those were Manning, wow. Aaron Rodgers, Brady, and Kurt Warner. 
Yeah, like, I mean it's it's been, our, he's been crazy. He he's been he's been absolutely crazy. I mean, you've got Lamar playing at an all-time level. Herbert took a step back yep. in this last week's game. Mahomes really isn't in the conversation um right now at least in terms of current play because of a namesake only right now he's he's there um obviously one of the best players that we have in the nfl from a pure talent perspective so he's always going to be an mvp conversation but in terms of who's playing the best right now and is influencing his team the most to win games uh no doubt about it it's it's like dak and lamar and but dak is just unbelievably great especially coming back from that injury it's such a joy to watch him perform at the level that he is performing right now um they got a bye week to rest up and heal right well, now and a lot of people don't uh you know they've played so well i don't want to flex too much warren they still don't have michael gallup who would be the best receiver on a lot of teams and they still don't have demarcus lawrence who is one of the best defensive players in the nfl you know what's interesting like- <laughs> is, is is you guys got you're basically going to be playing haves or have-nots as it relates to defense with one exception, and that's the uh, Denver Broncos, whose defense is definitely taking a nosedive um, off the high dive right now. But you've got four of the last, as I say, five teams that you're going to, five games that you're going to play late in the season against defenses that are bottom five right now. Washington Mm. twice, the Giants, the Chiefs, and the Falcons. So you're going to be going up against some absolutely terrible. You've only played one defense so far this year that ranks below 18, and that was the Giants, and you put up 44 points there. Would you would you sell the Patriots, or do you think that that is a uh, distressed stock right now that you would go buy up? Um, that's a great question. I actually like what the Patriots are doing. Like if you look at their efficiency. Uh, they averaged 10 yards gained on first downs in in the game against the Cowboys. If you look at the successful play rate this past game on first downs, full game, they were at 64% success rate. Bill Belichick held the Cowboys to only 43% success rate and only 6.8 yards gained on first downs. The Patriots offense was very efficient. I still can't wait to go back and dig into the numbers, Chris, about their usage of 12 personnel and how I thought that would have you guys, I mean, you're a Cowboys fan. Your defense yep. has struggled against tight ends. Your defense has struggled against 12 personnel, which is two tight ends out there on the field. And Jacoby Myers had a great game, but I don't understand why you're throwing three passes to Nelson Aguilar, who caught only one of them. I don't understand why you're you're not focusing enough on utilizing more 12 personnel. You go out and you get Johnny Smith and you go out and you get Hunter Henry and combined you throw four total passes to those guys. Well, and and let me tell you something. Myers like they need to get one electric playmaker for Mac because he is awesome under pressure for a rookie. I mean, Randy Gregory and the and 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 the rest of those guys—they were on his ass, and he he hung in there and delivered passes. And it's like none of these guys have like big separation, you know. He had the one crazy one that hit down the field to Kendrick Bourne, but I couldn't believe—I almost fell out of my chair yesterday when they said Jacoby Myers when he scored that touchdown that got called back, and Jim Nance said for the first time in his career, I said, "What the hell?" Jacoby Myers has never scored a touchdown ever. He's that what? Yeah. They, I feel like I hear, I hear his name every week. They're, your number one receiver 
for a couple years running who has played with Tom Brady and is now playing with Mag The guy's never scored a touchdown? That's impossible. It's impossible. Yeah, overall, <laughs> overall in, in this game, I was definitely impressed with, like, the Patriots. It was kind of similar to when we were talking about the Baker-Mayfield Baker game, except a little obviously different in my opinion, but uh, lower volume, right? Lower volume. Yep. They only threw... 21 passes, Mac completed 15 of them. Dak himself threw 51, right? Dak throws 51, Mac only throws 21. Um, but look at the, but, but if you look at his 15 completions, I mean, I feel like almost 10 of them are under duress. Oh, yeah. Like they were on him. Yes. You know, he hangs in there in a way that other guys just get the hell out of Dodge or throw something terrible. Um, even the you know even the even the digs pick was a tip ball. I liked Mac, you know. Oddly, for a guy on a losing team, I thought I thought he was impressive. Mac Jones had a completion percentage above expectation of nine point seven percent, which was the fourth best for any player uh, wow. last week. Now, what was also smart of him and kind of what they were doing offensively with him, like by play design or him going through his progressions the right way is he only threw four, basically 5% of his passes into tight windows, only 5%, which is extremely low, well below average, one of the lowest of any quarterback on the week. So um, it was, it was a very good game, but again, they, they obviously come up short. Now they've got this rematch against the Jets, who Bill Belichick absolutely owned Zach Wilson in the first go-around in this game, where I think Zach, what did he throw? Three or four picks. And now they've got another game against these guys. Uh, the, the Dallas Cowboys go to a bye. The Patriots, their bye isn't until week 14. But maybe the Jets are a de facto bye. Well, and and one last thing. Uh, Dak Prescott's 445 yards passing are the most ever by a quarterback against a Bill Belichick defense in New England. Wow. How about that? How about that? All right, last thing. Bills-Titans, great game tonight. Uh, we got a little uh, Music City Miracle flashback, right? <laughs> All these years later, that was Bills-Titans uh, 100 years ago. I'm sure we'll see that damn replay. Uh, Frank Wycheck throwing it across the way. Um, anyway, the Bills just... Out of control, awesome uh, last couple weeks. They put up 78. No, I take that back. The last four weeks, they their, their point totals have been 35, 43, 40, and 38. Now, in fairness, the first three of those are Miami, Washington, and Houston. Uh, and then Kansas City's defense stinks too. Uh, but it's not like Tennessee is some great shakes. Uh offensive or I mean defensively uh I think the question is can the Titans you know go score for score with them Titans put up 37 last week at Jacksonville but now this is a this is a different animal and so we've got uh we got Titans versus the Bills my 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 what's so what's the way I want to say this um my first reaction is be this is going to be a score fest. Um and the Titans are just going to have to try to keep up because I I find it very hard to believe that the Bills aren't putting up 30 points in a game no matter. 
the interesting thing about this game is this contrast where the Tennessee Titans have looked pretty good offensively the last four games. Um, they have played only defenses that rank 21st or worst in the NFL, mm-hmm. including the 31st ranked Jags, 25th ranked Seahawks, 23rd ranked Colts, and 21st ranked uh, Jets. And they won four, or three of those four games. The game that they played in actual good defense was the Arizona Cardinals week one. It seems like a, ages ago, but that was when Ryan Tannehill got his ass absolutely kicked, was getting sacked all over the place. They only put up 13 points in that game. This offensive line has been problematic, and one of the main things that the Bills worked to improve was the pass rush and the defensive front and getting after the quarterback. And so for the first time since that game against the number four ranked Cardinals defense, the Tennessee Titans actually go up against a good defense. And the Buffalo Bills right now rank number one in terms of defensive efficiency. The Buffalo Bills right now have earned that mark, though, against the 26th ranked schedule of opposing offenses. So the Bills themselves have not played very many good offenses but for the game against the Kansas City Chiefs last week. I mean, the Bills have played a schedule that consisted of the Houston Texans, the Washington football team, the Miami Dolphins, and the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? Like, these are not offenses or teams in general that you should be overly concerned with trying to defend. And we've had this happen, right? We had this happen with Carolina. Where it was like, oh, Carolina's defense is nasty, Carolina. And then, you know, they played against Dallas. They gave up, you know, a million yards. Yeah, exactly. So, now, the Tennessee <laughs> Titans offense is not close to the Dallas Cowboys offense, but it still is a good offense. The one thing, though, that you need from the Tennessee Titans is you need this game to be close enough so that you can run Derrick Henry enough in the second half. You cannot fall behind by a large margin. And the Bills are a team that I, I forget the statistic. No, what I was saying is, is that regarding Carolina was that we thought their defense was awesome and it's turned out not to be. It was more because of their schedule. I guess my question is, is the Bills defense, do you think the Bills defense is legitimately awesome or is it just because of who they played? The first driver to defensive efficiency is is your strength of schedule, is who you played. So I do think that there is a large element of that in the results of their statistics. That said, this is a better defense than they were last year. And if you remember the game last year, the Tennessee Titans, obviously they had Arthur Smith at the time, had no real problem working the ball down the field against this Buffalo Bills team. Tennessee won that game, I want to say something in the neighborhood of 42-16 to 16 last year. It was something ballpark in that range. I don't remember off, off the top of my head. But that game was, and we talked about it on the Friday show, I think, was the tarmac game, which was the Buffalo Bills were supposed to play the Tennessee Titans on Sunday. The Tennessee Titans had a COVID outbreak in their facility because they weren't abiding by the protocols correctly. And as a result, the NFL didn't want to cancel the game, so they delayed it to Monday. And then the Tennessee Titans still weren't over their COVID outbreak, so they delayed the game to Tuesday. Well, the Bills are like, are they going to keep delaying it? We, we play the Chiefs the very next Sunday. Like, we got to start getting ready for the Chiefs because your whole work schedule, I mean... If you know some coaches on different teams and in and, and different leagues and pro sports, uh, Chris, like coaches are such creatures of habit. 
that the, yeah. they need to okay on on Sunday night after I get back from my game this is what I'm preparing for to review the film and do these different things like so that I'm ready for next week's game I'm starting like all these guys have it all scheduled out to the nth degree and so now you're in Tuesday and you don't know if you're playing the Titans and you don't know when you're playing the Chiefs and they're sitting on an airplane wondering if it's been cleared with all the negative yeah. tests and stuff that they can actually fly to Tennessee and play the Titans that very night. And also thinking that they're going to have to play the chiefs in just a few days from there. Cause the chiefs game was the next one. Anyway, long story short, they get the, okay. They fly down to Tennessee and they get their butt stomped in. And Derrick Henry has a great game running. That's when he like stiffs stiff arms, Josh, uh, Oh God, jo- uh, Josh Norman and makes him look completely silly and they roll up the points, put a crooked number and then the bills come back home and they lose the game. The NFL pushed that game. I think one day later they gave him a slight All right. respite. All right. You, you've talked me into it without talking me into it. So we started this show by saying, look, man, these books have been taking a beating. It's a favorite week. And next week there'll be this huge, massive overcorrection. I think one last time, I'll let you talk me out of it if you want, but I think it just ends off with the the trend continues to be the trend for this week, and then there's the massive correction next week so that the Bills end up running off on this and winning, and that over hits. Bills and over, it's public, it's square, but... The public and the squares have been raking this week, so I may rock with them. It is, it is you're you're 100 right about one thing. It's very public and it's very square. <laughs> a lot of a lot of the sharp betters are taking the Tennessee Titans here. Um, they think they're thinking that the Bills defense hasn't really been tested. Specifically, their run defense hasn't really been tested. If you look at the rushing offense of the teams that they've played, think about this for a second, Chris. The Steelers. Week one, they can't really run the football. Their offensive line is terrible. Washington ranks 23rd in run offense. The Dolphins rank 26th. The Texans rank dead last in the NFL. And then you get the Chiefs, whose run offense statistically from an efficiency perspective is one of the better ones in the league, but they don't run the ball at a very high rate whatsoever. And because of the way that the Bills jumped out in that game, there was no ability for the Chiefs to even run it late because they were down by so many points. So this Bills defense, the run defense specifically, has not been tested whatsoever this year by any credible threat for a consistent period of time. And this is going to be that first test. What's going in the Bills' favor? Well, what some of the sharp guys are looking at this game, they're like, oh, the off of the game against the Chiefs, that's your Super Bowl. This is going to be a difficult game for you to go down to Tennessee and try to win. Big spot for the underdog to cover. The only ga- the, the the only water I'll throw on that fire is that the Bills have been playing with a mentality of next game up during the season, next game up, next game up. It doesn't matter who it is, next game. I think the players themselves, obviously they were jacked to be able to beat the Chiefs. The manner in which they did it, though, it wasn't like this last-second victory that all of a sudden they were... They had that game almost won in like the beginning of the third quarter, and they had to feel just like relieved after the game, a very business-like mentality. 
uh, coming back home, very businesslike. They have an extra day as well to like get that game out of their system to prepare. Well, by the way, this team beat their ass last year. This team beat their ass, and <laughs> Buffalo mean- does not have a game next week. They are looking forward to their bye after this game Monday night. So mm. this is like the sole focus of theirs. I don't think that they would be. I think Sean McDermott is too good of a coach for the Bills to take the game against the Chiefs win that game, have an extra day to prepare for this game against the Titans, then have a bye week. And for them to like look past the Titans or think that they can beat the Titans because the Titans stomped them, I don't think that's going to be the case at all. But from a matchup perspective, that is the single interesting element is I'm wondering if the Titans can run the ball on them early enough and Derrick Henry gets better late. So can he get good early in this game, run the ball to keep the Tennessee Titans on the field, keep the Bills' offense off the field? Can they avoid having to have Ryan Tannehill drop back into too many obvious pass situations against the best defense that they've played all year um, who can also get after the quarterback a little bit? Like, you got to protect Ryan Tannehill so that he can throw some of these deep passes. You got to be able to run Derrick Henry early. I got to say, I'm... I think this game is far more intriguing than like what it looks like on paper. And I can't wait to see how this one will unfold. All right. You didn't talk me out of it. So if I lose, I'm blaming you. <laughs> I have no dog in the fight right now. So I, I'm not, I can tell you you're, you are rolling with the public. The public has been right this week, but you're definitely rolling with the public taking the bills minus six. Warren, it is always a pleasure. And uh, I'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, Chris. And that'll do it. Thank you to everyone for listening. We will be back on Wednesday with Ben Solak for the Cheat Code Show that everybody loves where we dive deep into the analytics and the film study to share what we've learned. Obviously, thank you to Chris Vernon for joining me. Thank you to Brian Waters and Craig Holbrook for producing the show. We will see you guys on Wednesday. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.